Hey, do we have to do the little intro that we always do? Oh, yeah, you go. It's usually written down. I don't have it. <laughs> I don't have it memorized. Kevin really holds our hands for this. Yeah. Maybe Ke- if Kevin welcome. can mouth it to us. <laughs> it's something like, welcome to me my, and my racist to friend. my racist friend, a podcast about friendships and the messy stuff. Something like right? that. Is that it? Really? Yeah. More With or that less. same enthusiasm? It's a, usually you do it. And then we introduce ourselves. I'm Amy McKees. And I'm Don Griffin. I know you had a crazy weekend, too. I did, but not as fulfilling as yours. Mine was super awesome. We had our second annual relational summit. Okay. And Dr. LaShawn Williams was here. Dr. Dolores Finger Wright was here. And they're actually here right now, too. So we might ask them some questions. A lot of pressure. If, If they're willing. For me, is a lot of pressure. I don't think it's a pressure for them. Oh, it's to pressure for talk. you because yeah, they're, they're so in front cool. of. Yeah, they're looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> it's all good. Okay, it's all good. Okay. Okay, we do the summit because when we first started the Bloomington Center for Connection, like part of the idea of it was that there's this tool, relational cultural theory, that has in my opinion, the ingredients that we need at this time in our, um, in society, really at any time, but right now it feels even more that we need it Mm -hmm. to help us make sense of where we are and not just survive, but live joyously and connected. Mm -hmm. And so what I wanted to do with the relational cultural stuff was to have a, a center that had some mental health services that were informed by relational cultural therapy and I wanted to have community building activities that have the five good things in them which we've I think we've talked about on here we haven't talked about the five good things we'll talk about that today for sure and also the third part that was really important is sharing relational cultural theory with anyone who wants it so what happened was I was standing outside the building and uh, we had a gas leak and I couldn't go inside so I had to stand outside and wait for people to show up and I, I was bored and I thought well the day can't get any worse I'll get a no so I texted Maureen Walker who was our speaker last year and I said um, if I had a thing this summer or actually I probably said that I was having a thing this summer which was a I stretch think you did <laughs> <laughs> would, would you come because I thought for sure she'd say no sort of like the story about Mary Ann last week and she said yes so then suddenly we had this summit to put together and we did and it's an opportunity to combine the two parts of the Bloomington Center connection the relational cultural theory and Bloomington because we get to bring it out into the community and and have these great in-depth conversations about 
what's happening locally and how we can apply relational cultural theory to it. And then we also had people from far away come in and talk about relational cultural theory and learn about how awesome Bloomington is. And it is awesome. Yeah. And it's made even more awesome by the things that you're doing. That's so sweet. thank you for seeing the having the vision and going through with it, which is half the battle. I had some good people telling me I could do it. Yeah? Like you. And some bad people. And some bad people. <laughs> like, like me. <laughs> All right. So. So one of the things we did was we came up with these tools. And by tools, I'm holding up some cards. So this one, mine says dis disruptive empathy. Yeah. Okay. Would you like for me to read this? Or, or Do you want to? It's These are all different RCT concepts okay. and then a definition and then some questions that you might okay. Okay. ask because of these. Okay, so you, I'll, I'll read this real quick for the, the audience. Okay. okay. Disruptive empathy captures the paradox of relationship and paradox of power by both anchoring and overturning. In our community, disruptive empathy helps us see what we prefer not to see and to challenge the implicit narratives that define who can and cannot be one of us. Disruptive empathy gives us the courage to name reality as we see it and to tell our multiple and conflictual truths. What are the conflicting truths before you right now? Yeah, so That's last, the question. Yeah, yeah. last yeah. night we had a panel. Okay. It was at City Hall and we, it was specifically billed as harvesting hate a relational response to white supremacy and it was Dr. Finger Wright, Dr. Williams and myself and we took questions we had these cards here and we let people look at them and break into groups and talk about it and then we took questions and just sort of chewed on stuff mm -hmm. for the evening and there were a few things that came up and disruptive empathy I think was really key here you can look at these too they're mine. I, I know they're oh yours. My God. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> we have um, Dr. Dolores Finger Wright. I, I call her Dee Dee. And she's here from Delaware. And she's taught social work for 30 years. She just retired. She was honored for her work in planning the Greensboro sit ins and protests. And one thing we didn't say last night that I heard about Dee Dee is that she picketed at night at the movie theater. Yes, we did. Was it a really bad movie or? No, <laughs> no we were just trying to get, um, we were trying to integrate it. And we had some fair skinned classmates who were able to get in. Ah, which okay. Which mortified uh -huh. the white usher who uh, inadvertently let them in. Oh. And uh, so we got a big kick out of that. I said, you know, you just let a black person in. Wow. They thought they were going to lose their jobs and everything, but it's okay. <laughs> it all turned out okay in the end. We don't remember amazing. my one true thing. One true thing. One tr Do you want to tell us about that? Well, uh, one true thing has to do with what you can share with someone else without feeling that you will be uh, dismissed or treated in a manner that does not reflect goodness toward you and so we we want to share that 
because as a result of identifying one true thing about a person, it will facilitate growth and movement in terms of the relationship. And all we have to do is just look for one true thing. That's all. You know, it doesn't have to be a, a slew of things or anything of that nature, but one thing about one person that you can share that you feel reflects the truth about them. And I, I think it's good because it's authentic. And uh, it has a lot to do with the relationship, the movement of the relationship, because it validates the other person by identifying one true thing about them. One thing that came up last year that they said, I don't remember who said it, but someone said it doesn't have to be one perfect thing. No, it doesn't. It just has to be one true thing, one and true I like thing. that. That's right. Yeah. So one true thing that, that you both can agree on about that person? I mean, it, it, can you give me an example? One true thing about you is that you're honest. You have integrity. Even though I don't like you. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. But that's one true thing about you. Okay. okay. But deep down inside, you do like Don. Hmm? Deep down inside, you like Don. Well, most assuredly, but this is for the she's question. She's, for giving, the question. she's, she's giving pretending. an example. I hope, because I'll start to cry. <laughs> it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. But okay. I understand. So, so, so you, you try to find that thing though, that you can both agree on? Exactly. And the fact that, you know, we... People are so enmeshed in negativity that I think it's 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 liberating that you can go to the person that reflects that and 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 and, and share one true thing about them that you that you see and, and that's healthy. I like that. I do too. I told you I was cute. Yeah. You are. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of this whole weekend, what is it that you want people to have? Like, one thing that you can leave here in Bloomington for all of us, what would it be? You know, everyone is not going to agree. Uh, it may not be the kind of res resolution that many people would like to see, but at least it, it allows some space for folk to move forward, and I think that's, that's, that's a good thing. And to be more cognizant of how important it is to communicate positive kinds of things, that, mm -hmm. that the person who's being mean-spirited is not that person, that they are, they are the sum total of all their experiences, and the fact that we can look beyond that and, and move forward. Not hand-in-hand hand singing kumbaya. <laughs> right, going toward that's unlikely. Sunlight, but uh, at least uh, a certain level of of acknowledgement where folk can see movement, mm -hmm. you know, and uh, I think that's always, always good. And that in the process of doing that, uh, we, we, we look at the five good things, we look at clarity, and I think that's what's necessary in all of this, that there be clarity, you know, in terms of where we are, where we've been, and the direction in which we hope to go. So I think we should probably go over the five good things. Just yes, because I don't know up. the five good okay. things. The five good things are zest, and when you think of zest, what do you think of? I'm hungry right now. Oh, so Lord Jesus, <laughs> you asked me. I'm just. You said I was honest, and that's something that you liked about me. <laughs> that was a pretend person, Don. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so we're saying that hunger is zest. 
I was thinking zesty, like a... Oh, it's like, like a taste of something. Yes. Oh, darling. No, no, no. Okay, explain it to me. Explain it to me. When you say so-and-so has so much zest, what are you saying about them? They have a great spirit. Okay. Very good. They're excited about what they do. What, what they're... Good. Energy. Energy, yes. All right, that's it. Okay. You got it. So that's one of them, That's right? one of them. The other one is clarity. That in order to, to experience the positive kinds of forces that we are talking about, one has to know what it is that they, they, they are experiencing it and able to give words to thoughts. And, uh, and so, you know, and so often we say and do things and think that people understand without perhaps stopping to figure out, well, do they really know what I'm trying to convey? Because we just assume, and you know what that does, was, <laughs> that everyone understands what we're trying, and that's not it. So we must we must take time to clarify what we're talking about, what we what we want to do, where we want to go, and so that everyone who wants to join with us has a clear understanding of the direction in which we're going. The third is empowerment. Now I have a thing about empowerment personally. What's that thing? Uh, we talk often about, uh, in my particular profession, empowering people. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a very arrogant statement. How dare you think that you, you have the ability to empower anyone? We have responsibility to give people the tools with which they empower themselves. And mm. that's when it has more meaning. Mm -hmm. So I think about empowerment as mutual empowerment. Right. You know, as opposed to I am the one who has been given the 10 tablets, okay, <laughs> to empower you. Okay. So uh, that's my point. I don't know if that's the meaning, real meaning of it, but that's my how I feel about empowerment. Mm -hmm. That empowerment is is um, shared by all involved. Right, well it's mutual, because you know, all these are from exactly, a mutually exactly, growth fostering exactly. relationship. But many people, many people will interpret that differently. Mm. That's when we have to deal with clarity. Okay, yeah. Okay. Um, the next one is moving toward relation, uh, relationship. Okay. Well, what do we know about relationship? What does relationship mean? It means having a connection with another human being. In this sense, another human being. What are the qualities of that relationship? What qualifies that relationship? You know, mm -hmm. and the desire to have that relationship is what makes all the difference in the world. And uh, and some people, um, some people, because there have been disconnections in their lives, have difficulty in establishing meaningful, substantive kinds of relationships with others. So one of these good things, the one you're talking about now, is really moving into moving more, more more relationships. relationships. That's what we want to have. And the other thing is shame. Or, you know, not shame. Not, not shame. We don't want to shame people. But that's something that, that, that has a sense to do with one's own, own value uh, of self, your worthiness. And many people who experience shame feel unloved and maybe want to connect but don't know how to. So that's where we help in that process. You know, how do you bridge the gaps? How do you make that move that is going to bring you into a, a deeper relationship with another human being? Mm -hmm. And, um, and it's, it's, it's kind of difficult 
when you don't feel good about yourself. So yeah. part of that is enhancing one's one's sense of self-worth mm -hmm. and uh, that you do have value. And sometimes we have to dig real deep <laughs> to find it. You know, that, that, that piece of a person that we identify as valuable and to show them, look, you can do this. Mm -hmm. That's wonderful. I've always wanted to be able to do that, mm -hmm. you know. And so we have to find those kinds of things in people that will, will enhance their own view of self. Right, right, yeah. Relational cultural theory involves finding strengths. It's that too. Yeah, right. for strengths, yes. There's one more. No, you, that was five. Did right, zest, that? clarity, empowerment, more relationships, self-worth. Oh, okay. Very you got good. it. Oh, great. Patting yourself on the back. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you think of something else, you just holler. Yes, ma'am. Thank and you. And we'll pull much. you right back up. Can we keep those cards, though? Are you going to take your cards away? You're going to let us hold them for a little bit? They're mine. Don't try to give them back. Don't try to shame me. Don't try to shame me into giving them to you. That's not going to work. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Thank you very much for this opportunity. No, thank, thank you, you very I'm much. I'm so glad you've been here. So, shame is interesting. Yeah. In the sense that it's not only internal shame, but also we're talking about people shaming you as well, right? Right, and and I think that that a, a huge piece of what you do to others is this thing that's inside you that you're trying to either avoid or get around. Mm -hmm. So you you've got feelings of shame already, and you're trying to avoid those. And uh, a strategy would be to put it on someone else. And I, I think that's one of the things that we've been dealing with in Bloomington a lot is when you start looking at racism, then like nobody wants to be racist. Even 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 identitarians will tell you they're not, they're racist, not racist, right? No. And and so when we start saying, but but look, you are <laughs> like there's racism everywhere, and we're all a part of it. Then that's that pulls up a lot of shame. That like touches on everybody's shame, and they don't want it, and they're gonna look at it at other places and mm -hmm. say oh look the shame's over there or or the reverse racism thing that we've got going on or the reverse of everything right they're the ones that are being hurt as opposed to right yeah we, we're seeing that a lot yeah we did um, talk at some point about the identitarians one of the people last night talked about the identitarians borrowing the word the um, language of being marginalized or they're poor white men or the uh, Californian did you see that in the news the uh, the folks that don't don't want to vaccinate, vaccinate yes uh, mm -hmm. using using civil rights language uh, yes it's the same kind like ugh. Mm -hmm. yeah but I do while we're talking about shame I wanted to see if we could tag dr. Williams to come up LaShawn was nodding when we were talking about shame I think there's some more to say about like how we do how we how we do like productive moving forward like really getting stuff done like we're supposed to like we need to and also avoiding shaming as we do that because it's hard work and i don't think anyone does better when they're feeling shame because where does shame put you in or out of the group out out of the group and so when you're out of the group and you're all by yourself what's another word for being all by yourself 
Isolated. Isolated. See, and he wasn't even there, and he got, he got the, the word. word. He got the word. And so isolation. one of the things we say in RCT is isolation is the glue that holds oppression together. So a lot of times in this work, one of the things that's funky about white supremacy and racism in these systems is that the rules always change. And so I've noticed working in higher ed for the last almost 20 years, our work around diversity, because when we started actually getting diversity work going and moving, they're like, oh, let's talk about inclusion instead of diversity. Because diversity, when it started moving from everyone and then focusing a lot on racism and anti-black racism, then we needed to talk about inclusion, which was to include everyone, but then it also was a way to avoid talking about anti-black racism. Mm -hmm. So one of the things about white supremacy that I'm starting to understand a little bit more is as the rules and the game and the goalposts move and change, if I can find very basic words that they can't change to mean anything else, then I've got them where they still have to talk about, all right, so isolation. That's a word that we've known and it has never had any sort of connotation around being about getting rid of racism. It's just a word. So now if we say isolation is the glue that holds oppression together, now we can look at historical examples of what isolation looks like. Isolation is segregation. Isolation is colored water fountains and white water fountains. Isolation is all of these things. And then if isolation is the glue that holds oppression together, how were white and colored water fountains or schools or theaters particular to oppression. Now those two things are forever connected. And so now you can't duck out of how oppression actually does exist and that isolation is the way that you do it. And then now you connect it to, all right, so what was the shame piece that caused us to want to isolate black people in the history of the US? So when you look at shame being, meaning you're not part of this group, you're not included anymore, now we're saying, okay, I've shamed you, I've isolated you, and that allows me to now build up systems that keep you where you are and keep me where I am. And so when you're talking about shame, one of the cards that we have is uh, internalized oppression. And it basically says that internalized oppression allows dominant groups to offload their shame onto non-dominant groups. So that means if I can get you to believe that you are how I see you, then my work is done and I just go on about living my life and growing and changing and moving and you're just re recreating the systems that I've already put into place. And all of it is rooted in shame. Mm -hmm. And deep-seated shame, things that have gone on for generations upon yes, generations. Yes, absolutely. Uh, some of the things that we experience, they were they baked in from, from slavery. Mm-hmm. Um, images of our own people that we give ourselves that really shouldn't be there. They should not, but they're the projected shame of a dominant group saying, this is how I see you because I struggle to see us as one. Mm -hmm. So I need you to live there in isolation so that I can be free of being responsible to having a relationship with you. Because mm -hmm. that's why when you look at the history of the U.S., you recognize that a lot of our policies and our laws were in reaction to people seeking freedom. I'm specifically talking about like the black codes. Absolutely, so yeah. initially it was illegal to enslave someone who was a Christian, to enslave someone whose father was white, and to enslave someone, there was one other key element. And there was a young woman who was enslaved, whose father was white, um, she was baptized a Christian, and she had married, gotten married to uh, a white man. 
who was her lawyer that actually took her case to court and won her freedom. After her case is when, well, now you can enslave anybody. It doesn't matter if they're Christian. Now slaves take on the race of the mother, so it doesn't matter if your father was white. And then the third thing was also one of the laws. So when you have these experiences of isolation, I need to put these laws into place so that I can basically shame you for existing based on my understanding. Now I'm free to create systems of oppression. So when we have language that's nice and neutral like that, but it means what it means, and one plus one is always two, this is what I feel we can utilize to help people understand, here's how isolation creates oppression, and here's how isolation is rooted in shaming and separating people. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I love this question. What oppressive images are blocking this work? We're talking about the internalized oppression. Can you guys give me some examples of that? There's another card called Controlling Images, um, and those are, like, I think of them as snapshots from the dominant paradigm, the dominant narrative that limit us racist ideas or sexist ideas, like images, though. The shoulds. The shoulds, you know, like, women should do this. Mm Mm-hmm. Black people should do this. Black women should do this. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and what I love is that the next card, the card that you had right under there is, is relational courage. And on there it talks about how relational courage can shift and replace those controlling images. But you have to name them first because you can't replace them if you don't name what they are. So I have another question that I think sort of lurked under the surface all weekend and has to do with the naming. And what, how can we help people who for whatever reason aren't seeing what they need to name so I'm talking about people that like they definitely think the KKK is bad right they would be very upset if they saw a cross burning and they don't think we should have separate water fountains but they also are not super concerned about the rise of white supremacy but it seems to me that if they had a more clear understanding, like there's a step in there for the naming that isn't happening. So somehow they think we're fighting about something different. Maybe, because I can't imagine they would actually be opposed to rooting out white supremacy. I mean, I'm sure there's some that would be, but not as many as are, are so uncomfortable with the conversation that our community is having about racism that they're ducking out of it and and using shame to just avoid the whole thing and I'm wondering is there something we can do to help with the naming process to to help develop a common language because you talked about that last night quite a bit a lot so I think we start with talking about shame and we connect the unwillingness to name to definitive shame so shame says I don't talk about it we have to we don't talk about it we don't name it okay well then that shame how do we get courage more courage than shame because what would it mean if we did name it like what's the most logical conclusion and engaging people in that so what would it mean if they were hating and they didn't have to burn across to do it what would that mean to you Mm -hmm. and start asking them what it would mean to them Mm -hmm. 
because until we figure out what it would mean to them, where their boundary, where their line that gets crossed has moved to, because it used to be right. burning across is the line. Okay, but it's not burning across anymore. So now what is your line? What would they have to do? Because we allow a lot more for covert oppression than we do for overt. Mm -hmm. If we knew that a parent was neglecting their child and refusing to interact, whether it be emotionally, psychologically, economically, we know to step in because that is damaging because our line is there. Why is the line there for child abuse and neglect and it's not for relationship abuse and neglect? Mm -hmm. If we've got white nationalists who are refusing to engage emotionally, psychologically, economically with folks who are not white, that's still abuse and neglect. So why is that line not as important? Mm -hmm. What might they say? I, I think you're right. I think when, the, when it's black and white, we, this society wants to just be black and white. We're either good or bad. Mm -hmm. And when we start graying the areas, if they start looking at the form of racism that they're willing to accept, mm -hmm. I think they realize that hey maybe I'm a racist too uh, it gets it gets closer and closer to the them you, you understand what oh, I'm saying yes. they, and, and they have to admit they have to start admitting that the playing field isn't equal mm-hmm and that, I'm part of it yeah I'm and an I'm umpire it. in it exactly yeah, I'm, I choose the calls that I'm going to make in this game oh yeah and I don't think anybody wants to they, they it's like the matrix they don't want to really know they'd rather just live in it they want to take whatever pill it is that doesn't wake you up, or do you just not take a pill? I, I'm not. I mean, am I pro or anti-vaccine? <laughs> I don't want pills if that's going to vaccinate me. So right? I'm an anti-vaccine <laughs> like when it comes circle. to racism. Well, the thing is, though, a lot of these concepts become connected. They, I just thought of one true thing. Then when we were doing that, because I'm thinking like of these people who I see lots of different types having these conversations. I see people who are like really sort of shut down and all they can see is their lovely market and that it's uh, marred. And, and they're not really interested in how it got marred. Um, the thing they can see is protesters. So they focus on that. They don't really see why the protesters, why the protesters are there. Mm -hmm. And I think that they are probably really scared of being called racist and so they come out the gate with i'm not racist but i want my farmer's market back you know or like something it, like that put it back in the box yeah put it yeah, yeah once yeah, yeah. we open it up <laughs> once we open it up we have to start talking about everything else that's wrong right once this is fixed and i god i hope it gets fixed uh soon we have to start talking go, talking about our school system because their line is the farmer's market. Yeah. And one of the questions we got yesterday, is the farmer's market really the issue? Yeah. But their line, the line is the farmer's market. Okay, yeah. so this is the line that once this line is crossed, now you want to talk. So if we fix the farmer's market, do you want to talk about the education system? Mm -hmm. you want to talk about housing and homelessness and addiction? Mm -hmm. you want to do those things too? Mm -hmm. It can't just be one line to keep you comfortable. Mm -hmm. This I, is about the whole entire community. And, and see, I, that's, that's where I'm... That's what I want to see. I want to see what happens. This is a great start, but I, I want to see a continuation. I want, I want the same kind of fire that they have, that, that the people that are fighting 
against the Nazis in the farmer's market. I want that to continue on with everything else. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, we're, we're, we're not just talking about racism. Mm -hmm. Racism's just a start, but we're also talking about uh, all the other isms. Well, and, the, and I think if you look at, like, white supremacy and the patriarchy, that that, I mean, it's, it's a structure of being mm -hmm. that is based on inequity. Like, that's, that's how it works, is because of inequity, right? It's by design. Yeah. So one of the TED Talks I used yesterday from Jace Moves said, it's created by design. It's the dance partner who was designed to trip you up. So you can't do the dance with mm -hmm. racism and expect not to get tripped up because by design, that's how it was created. Mm -hmm. And so there's no engaging with this thing and expecting it to not be what it is. It's changing and shifting this thing or redesigning a different dance partner. Mm. Yes. And, 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 and I think more and more people are, are realizing that they don't want to do this dance anymore. Mm-hmm. And that's the fear. That's why we see this movement of white folks. Sorry, you understand you, what I'm saying. You don't have to apologize. Uh, you know, uh, um, uh, yeah. especially white men who have controlled things mm -hmm. for years. Mm -hmm. For you know um, that it's not like everyone. It's not like women and and, and brown folks and and queer folks. It's not like we want an upper hand. We just want equal. We want equal foot footing. Yeah. But they're so used to actually having the upper hand that they think that that's normal. Mm -hmm. And then the, it's changing, or it's trying to. You know, you've got more and more people. I think we're all talk, starting to talk more mm -hmm. and saying, "Hey, this isn't right." Go ahead. I'm sorry. You had a question. I was just gonna say that you know, people maintain those kinds of views because they talk with those people, say the same things back to them. So they don't have opportunities. Hear other perspectives, and so it just reinforces it. If I talk to you about the issue, um, and you feel the same way about the issue, nothing is resolved, and you feel very comfortable because John Brown down the block feels like this, and Tom Smith over here feels like this, and uh, but they never, they never want to accept another view that is different. So this is that that's that that one world perspective. That you know, everybody, everybody I know thinks this way, you know. But how many people do you know? <laughs> do you know everyone? You know, and I, 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 you know, I often told this to my students. Well, everyone, I said, well, how many people? I said, you only know a hundred people if you know that many. And there's seven billion people in the world. <laughs> okay. And so we have to, we have to be willing to branch out. You know, someone else may have a different perspective, and it may be legitimate. But we, we we keep reinforcing those those those, those views because it gives us a sense of worthiness. Mm-hmm. Right. And I, I like that Dr. Righteous said John Brown down the down the block had the same view because John Brown is one of my favorite people. Harper's Ferry, one of the earliest white men to lead a revolt against slavery. Now it cost him his life, but it was him and his sons that rallied together and burned down a building in opposition to enslavement and it was either right before or right after Nat Turner's rebellion that they showed up and did the same kind of thing because oftentimes we'll hear in these conversations that well we don't know any white people that we don't have any examples and there are a number of examples of white people who fought against the system because we often try and say well you know that was back then everybody believed it back then it, they were they were a people or a person a man or woman of their time 
Well, of their time, you can actually find examples of other white people who did not go along with it. So what was the deciding factor for a number of them that made it easier for them to go along with depression and isolation, and that made it easy for them to say, this is not right, I don't believe in this, and I'm going to fight against it. Mm -hmm. That's the conversation that we also have to start having, too. And I think, laborers, I, I, and, you know? and, and see, I think any time you get people starting to talk together, Mm -hmm. I mean, I, th I think that I still think that's why King died mm -hmm. because of the the the, uh, the poor people's movement. The white people, poor people's movement. Yeah, you're starting to get the white people that are being oppressed and the black people that we could control the narrative of mm -hmm. poor black folk. But now, if the white folks start work waking up and saying, "Oh, this happens to us too," MLK <laughs> got, he he talked. One of his interviews, he was talking about, you know, when I'm in prison, I like to preach while I'm there, just, you know, to pass the time. So he talks about how he's, you know, in prison and the guards are coming up to him saying, hey, you know what, you guys, you got to stop doing this. You know, just go back out and be good boys is what they were saying. And so MLK is like, you know, so I like to engage people when I'm, you know, in prison. So he starts talking with them and listening to them about how they're not being paid well, they can't afford food, their kids aren't going to a good school. And he says to them, you should actually be out marching with us. Because a lot of white yeah. folk are taught that they're also part of this elite group that has the upper hand, and it's really a bait and switch. Yeah. But they've been lulled into the security of whiteness because whiteness is this actual entity that they're connected to. They believe whiteness will save them and they will engage and they will support whiteness because it's better than being black and poor. I can survive being white and poor, but at least I'm not black. And that's so much of what Jim Crow segregation gave to white people. And so MLK, in his speech, I think it was after Selma, he says, you know, white men would look down at their starving children and they don't have jobs that give them enough money to put food in their bellies, but they would eat Jim Crow. So they said, when you look out and you see those white and colored signs, that whiteness is what gives you value. Even if I don't have a job and I can't take care of my family and you can't get a good education, at least you're not black. And then it also carries on now where you've got people with no teeth saying, I don't want health care. None. Don't give, care. Me the, don't, don't. Mm -hmm. don't give me the health care. Well, we don't like chair. Yes, we don't we like handouts. Yeah. We have a problem with relationship and connection and the idea that we take care of each other. Yeah. All because shame. Shame. Makes it us feel isolated. It all okay. comes back to shame. Is I don't feel worthy of somebody taking care of me. I don't feel worthy of someone being in connection with me because I don't deserve it. I haven't worked hard enough to receive it. The system isn't set up for you to work hard enough. But it puts them in the same category with those other folks who get those things. And what would it and mean if I was like them? That That's right. I'd rather be without my teeth, without my health care, rather than take that hand out like like those other people get like those colorful people. Mm -hmm. you know? mm -hmm. Isn't that something? Isn't it? Yeah. And, it, and it's all a fallacy. It's all it's all a it's all a fallacy and it's it's put there to keep us from and talking. Course, it's systemic. Yeah. Institutional racism is part of America's DNA. Well okay. Individual and racism you can deal with personal racism but institutional when it's institutionalized it's Immovable. Mm -hmm. It is. I tell my students it's like crockpot racism. You just set it and you walk away from it and it just cooks. Come back and it's done. Crockpot racism. Then I can freeze it oh and I can God. defrost it whenever I'm ready to use it because it's already made. Wow. Costco racism. 
Buy it in bulk. Buy it in bulk. Freeze and defrost when you need it. Sounds good. Amen. See, it's Sunday and you thought we weren't having church. <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> Whenever so, two or three are gathered in my name, and my name is Justice, there. but yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. That was what, two cards? The idea that we have to take care of each other. Yeah. That is part of what makes RCT so revolutionary. And, and I think in a way dangerous, and something that we avoid. And one of the cards here that is one of my favorites of not having, because it's power over everything is in a hierarchy mm -hmm. like there's not stuff that's not hierarchical in our society like yeah. everything's ranked everything's got a hierarchy of value to it and part of what rct is trying to do is say how can we have power with instead of power over to me that's exciting and that's talking about a way of being that isn't crockpot racism i'm not saying it goes away because I, I know that that we've stocked up mm -hmm. while we're trying to shovel it and bury it or put it down the disposal or whatever we're doing with this like golden egg style meal like what are we doing mm -hmm. we're trying to create something yeah and so everything has to be defrosted in order to be used if we're going to go with the food analogy so defrosting is kind of like leveling the playing field mm -hmm. right so if we decide, you know what, I don't want any more crockpot food. I'm so tired of it. It's gotten frostbite on it. It doesn't taste, it's lost its flavor. Let me go and do some a la carte. So now I got to create on the fly. I got a meal prep, but the meal prep only lasts a little bit. Mm -hmm. It's this ongoing, I've got a meal prep every couple of days. Got to keep coming back. Got to keep coming back to it. Yeah. And so we want the things that are easy. We can set it and forget it and not have to worry about it. But even with your crockpot meals, there's still some stuff you got to create to make the entire meal function. Mm -hmm. So RCT is, well, what are the other ingredients that you need a la carte in the moment or you call and get them delivered, whatever it is, because hopefully we can't live by crockpot stuff alone. Mm. There's some good really, I mean, but I'm lazy when I do a crockpot. Like, I'm like, do I have to cook anything? I don't want to cook anything. Racism is when I just want to use the crockpot, and if it doesn't go in the crockpot, I'm lazy. Leaving I don't, it out. You're not, like, sautéing the onions. I'm not going to sauté the onions. It's going to be okay. onionless. It's going to lose we, flavor. I'm getting hungry. See? You feeling zesty? Oh. You feeling yeah. zesty? <laughs> so, so from, from what... I, Okay, so, you know, I'm kind of a novice here. You know, I sell houses, so, and I, and I listen to you occasionally. You sell houses and talk um, with me, yeah. So, RCT, we've, we've got our institutional racism that's, uh -huh. that's baked in. Yes. Yeah. Right, getting back to your thing. Mm -hmm. But RCT is almost, we're trying to fix things on a grassroots level. We're, we're trying to connect as individuals, mm -hmm. as many people, as many different types of people as possible. If we can see each other as individuals and see that we actually like each other, mm -hmm. there's enough of us that say that says, this is unfair. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. and this needs to be changed is that what we're trying to do yeah and ideally those of us who benefit from the hierarchy are in a position to come together and say okay here's the part i can contribute to change this and then more of us say well here's what i can contribute to change this we all have a responsibility in our gathering mm -hmm. to say what resources and access do we have that can contribute to change none of us are completely powerless so it's not about losing power and not having power. It's about bringing the power that I have with the power you have and the power you have 
and to create something that other folks see as desirable and want to be part of because it benefits them too. Movement comes from the bottom up. You just want to come back up here? Yeah, why don't you, can you just come back up here for us? I even. I'm that still small voice in the room. Oh my gosh. I can sit in the pretty chair. Because you're cute. That's a chair. It's yes, a little chair too. Welcome again. I, I wanted to talk about maybe some concrete things that we can give well-meaning white people who are super frustrated with, with things as they are. Things as they are. And, um, and we've heard some interesting stories this week. One black woman describing a white man explaining racism and what she should be worried about with racism <laughs> in it. Right. What? Bless his heart. <laughs> Bless his heart. He's one of those do-gooders who yes. that we deal with all the time. Yes. Who knows what's best for us. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's a dynamic that I think we should name. That's one of those things that needs to get named. Oh, man. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. In person or online? In person. In person. In person. Oh. Quoting Malcolm X. Really? Oh, God, I missed that part. Oh, yes. Okay. It's coming back. Awesome. We have a lot of that in Bolivia. That, that's why I'm, I'm, like, numb to that. And we've also heard of having these, like, events to celebrate and sort of work on getting a more diverse face of Bloomington that, that aren't getting nearly as much energy as, as the farmer's market, for movement. example. But I'm wondering if there are, like, some nice, nice, neat... Okay. Easy. Could you give me some easy recipes? Some easy recipes for anti-racism. Yeah. <laughs> One of them, I think, is recognizing that in those conversations, when a well-meaning white person is explaining to me why I should be upset about racism, what they're telling me is this is where it matters to me. Exactly. So oh, this is their yeah, line. Exactly. And my line was a couple, you know, years ago. Mm -hmm. And so what we need to face actually is the gulf between us. Because my line was back here and you didn't care. So now you care about this because your line has been crossed. Do you recognize that once we change or address the issue that's important to you, my line is still here? Mm -hmm. How mm -hmm. does helping you help me? Okay. Oh, that's good. That is the best. What you said is what I've been trying to say forever. Can we bottle up what she just said? And that's why we keep inviting her back. <laughs> well, the thing is, people want to talk about, it's not race, it's class. It's class. class it's always yes, a class yes, issue. Yes, yes, and we have to engage that. Because let's talk, if it's really about class and class differences and money, all right, I'm willing to go with you on that one. If all the poor white people and the poor black people and the poor brown people and poor yellow people and all the poor color spectrum, if we all get money, will racism go away? No. 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 If it's not no. going to go away, then classism is your line, but my line is here. So once we fix classism, is racism going to go away? Folks want to believe that, that the answer is yes. No. But you needed racism in order to even have classism. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Which one, removing one is going to, which one will affect the other? If we remove racism, then can we work on class and get everybody equal? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But if I remove class, I still can dislike you. You can be a rich black person, but there's still some words I can call you to reduce you down to shame. And that happens all the time. All the time. To, great, to quote the great Kanye West, he says, yeah. even if you're in a Benz, you're still an expletive in a coupe. Mm -hmm. Doesn't matter how much money I have, there's still anti-blackness. So when people are doing, they're telling you, this is my line. 
And because it's my line, I feel entitled to your outrage about what's happening to me. Oh, yeah. Where was your outrage when this is happening? It's the same thing. I want to see the same energy about the farmer's market applied to these other very important issues. And if we can't do that, then we can't call it outrage. We call it entitlement and convenience. Mm. Mm. No one was concerned about crack. I, yeah, I remember. Mm-hmm. And I remember like the, the crack babies. We've got, and the, we've got yeah. people, all kinds of people in jail for 20 years because they had an addiction and they're still in jail. Mm-hmm. Yet, um, yet we have people that get caught with meth a whole different They're back on the street the next damn day. It's a whole story to it. And that's a very real view of the Great Divide. Mm -hmm. A very real view. I wonder if some people get scared. I mean, I I don't wonder. I know people get scared when you start saying these things like, well, you didn't care about crack and now you care about um, opiates, but it's not. You're not saying let's not care about opiates. No, no, no not at all. all. No, let's, at all. let's. I need to see that you can get that right. Because now, yeah. if you get that right, I can hold you accountable. Get it right for me now. It's yeah. not. We have. You, a you gained a skill set. Categorized stuff. You gained it's a skill set. Mm-hmm. You gained a skill set. Come on, and try it. <laughs> exactly. It's it's and also and is what we should yeah. be looking at. And because yeah. you can't separate mm-hmm. one from the other. Because yes. now I can ask about what you really want to do. Yeah. Because you can't. Because now you've got to reckon with the fact that you mobilized and got all this energy to address this one thing. Do you just not want to do it for me? And if so, why not? What would it mean about you if you wanted to help? What does it mean about you if you don't want to help? And that sounds like a you problem, not a me problem. So how are you going to address and manage that? Yeah. I have to survive your outrage because even once you fix your problem, my reality is not is unchanged. Uh-huh. And that was one of the stories that I was able to hear this weekend from folks about the farmer's market. The farmer's market's not some people's issue. It's not That's issue. a you problem. I go there to maintain positive relationships. Mm-hmm. They're my friends. Mm-hmm. I go there to purchase Get some produce. Corn. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did hear a lot of different narratives yeah, about mm-hmm. what the yeah. farmer's market, market is. Yes. What it means to yeah. people. So we're recording this live. We're all in a room, and we've got people here with us <laughs> oh is this question we've got a live time? studio audience hello hello <laughs> audience yay so does anyone have some i was thinking about the the racist action as something in my teeth right uh-huh. and and i need my friends to say hey you've got something in your teeth and then I was thinking about your crockpot analogy and your toothless people who don't want health care and thinking about connecting those things together. If I've had so much racism in my teeth for my entire life and nobody was around me to point it out and help me realize I need to clean that crap off my teeth. <laughs> Then that's how I become a toothless person. Exactly. That's exactly it. Exactly. If you don't take care of it. But you're still valued even if you don't have teeth. Got good gums. You gotta take care of your gums. But I don't like people pointing it out to me that I don't have teeth. It's embarrassing. It is. It is embarrassing because we're so we're socialized right, so, to be embarrassed by that. But I think that's a good place to go is like mm-hmm. how do you how do you tell someone when they've got like the stuff in their teeth? Because some people do get get their feelings hurt 
and and you don't want to you just want them to help them get the stuff out of their teeth i keep looking back at margie because she's my stuff in the teeth friend Mm -hmm. and um and and so maybe that's something that is missing in our conversation is like is the connection that you have to have to talk about stuff in your teeth like you've got to build a connection how can you tell people you know you have to find ways that are appropriate for approaching this person right and that person you know because uh, I think I said something last night about confronting that confronting is a very positive process because you're dealing with the truth mm-hmm. and and we, we think that confronting is very negative mm-hmm. and um, it's just telling you you have spinach in your teeth and um, need a toothpick can I be helpful? Exactly. Because <laughs> what are we That's trying to do together? Thing. When you're telling someone that, you also want to offer them whatever you A tool. Have. Exactly. In order to deal with it. Yes, because we're trying to do something together. If we're getting ready for a picture, and I want to be able to smile because we get one picture. And you mm-hmm. got spinach. And you got something in your teeth and nobody tells you. <laughs> You're not a friend. That's right. That's right. I think that's it. That's so the key. Not the next a piece. There's a, there's a next part to that. Mm-hmm. Other than then recognizing that something's there, then we go forward to figure out how we're going to remove it. And, and, and that's what happens so often, that doesn't happen. We, we, we do the blaming and move away mm-hmm. with, right. with no, with, with no uh, uh, means of eradicating, removing, or whatever. And so what we're seeing in the protest is protesting that the spinach in the teeth exists. Yes. What is the tool? What is the understanding about the spinach so what do we and the do? teeth? Yes. We're going to use a toothpick, some floss. Is it? Is there really a root canal that we need? Is yes. it a symptom of a deeper problem? Like, And sometimes problems can only be managed. They can't be cured. There are a lot of issues and diseases that we have that can be treated but not cured. Exactly. And so you just learn to manage it on a regular basis. But you've got tools to do so. Mm-hmm. And I, like, I know with, with some people, like, if they had something in their teeth, I'd be inclined to say something like, oh, you, you got something in your teeth. I hate when I eat spinach. It always sticks to my teeth. Like, I would add something afterward that, like, lets oh, them know no, that I, like, it happens to me, too. It's not, I'm not perfect. I haven't worked it all out. I, well, I wouldn't must, eat spinach before a picture, but that's just me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we must give people something concrete. That they can latch on to for for moving forward. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I start to see that um, in this grand analogy that RCT becomes one of the tools that you're offering to help us the get the spinach out of our exactly. teeth. And I'm talking about the progressive liberals who suddenly discovered that it's not about what happened at the farmers market, it's but it's about the institutional racism exactly. that we uphold and that we continue to uphold because we have a hard time giving up our benefits and our advantages Mm -hmm. and so we need a tool to help us get the spinach out of our own teeth and help each other Mm -hmm. but uh, without the tool we have a lot of infighting and um, blaming and you're doing it wrong and I'm doing it right and the way that I've got it going on so one of the one of the pieces that I saw play out last night um, was the five the five good things um, we learned through the RCT workshops about the care um, being a tool to get us to the five 
um, the five good things, mm -hmm. and the first one of care being calm and what brings us to calm. And I felt like I saw it um, play out last night when Lisa was talking about the the one true thing that she kind of came to mm -hmm. through her through her mm -hmm. own work yeah. in dealing with what happened in the farmers market. And the one true thing that that she talked about was for her. It wasn't necessarily something that she shared with um, with the with the people that she's struggling with, but for her, I felt like it provided a sense of calm for her to go forward with her work, her version of her work. And I I would love to check to see if that actually was the case. That's just kind of what I observed. Mm -hmm. What? within myself um, reduce my fear you know so if I am so if I am so against somebody and have so much and have hatred for and uh, there's so much separation there like I, I can't not be afraid right and but if I connect to the one true thing or what is what unites amidst diversity, even if, uh, you know, if it's Nazism or whatever, then something just dissolves. I mean, it's kind of a paradox, really. We're talking paradox on some level, and it's hard to explain, but that's what happens. That's what happened to me. It's just the fear went down. And then it was fine to be in that space. Um, again, the and both, right? Like, mm -hmm. we're all humans. We all have passion. We're all here for our reasons. And... I'm, I'm boycotting you. I'm mm -hmm. promoting boycotting and, uh, and defunding white supremacy. Mm -hmm. So it's not yeah. either or, it's, it's and. It's and, 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 and also. It it's also, yeah. and, and it, also. The, the fear goes down, and the, actually the love increases, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And redemption finds itself. Yeah. That's the reconnection yeah. piece. Because yeah. yeah. that reconnection is what allows you to go back into the relationship, which is back into your authenticity and back into boycotting. Yes. Because being able to do that work and being able to say, okay, I have energy to act, so I'm still going to act. I have a sense of worth. I still value what I'm doing. I'm very clear now about what I'm doing. I'm empowered to do it, and I'm going to continue turning toward relationships with other folks that are ready to continue boycotting. Right. That's absolutely. I think people get lost in the paradox. I, I think people, white people, we have such fragility that we can't hold paradox, a lot of us. It takes, it's, it takes some kind of... Uh, Resilience or interconnectedness to, to be to hold paradox, mm -hmm. and our culture is so binary, either or. Good, you know. We, um, so a lot of people won't won't get it. Won't get that we can be boycotting from love. Like they won't get that paradox, right? I want to see if we can get this uh, this podcast. I want to see if we can get Waterpick to sponsor us. <laughs> <laughs> to get stuff out of our teeth. Hey. And also, crock, I want to go with the crock, crock pot, pot people. Pot. I think we need to. So, the first half, crock pot, second half, water We're pick. Brought to you by. I think we could probably do Races it. Mm -hmm. pot. Mm -hmm. It's all about zest. <laughs> Feeling zesty. <laughs> when I picture zest, I picture a bunch of spices, so that totally fits, because then they're all in your teeth. Um, <laughs> but it tasted so good. Uh, wait, no, that doesn't work. Um, I'm thinking about the, the spinach in your teeth 
and and how to tell someone and who tells someone if we're if it's a big group of us getting ready to take a picture and and how to get that across so that it can be heard and instead of just going straight to shame um and and i'm thinking still about the translators and i'm trying to get my head around that and i think something that i understood at the end of last night is that the translator needs to already have a relationship with yeah in this case Mm -hmm. it would be with the person Um, with the spinach yeah 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 because i'm not going to see it if i'm not close to you right i'm not going to see spinach in your teeth from here the same way connie will see it right next to you and kind of oh girl mm, right there get get right in there right not you (laughs) but it's similar to when you think about it like our our implicit rules one of them is like you never refuse someone offering you gum is that true I've heard that. Have you not heard that? Or a tic tac. Or a tic tac. You They're never refuse you somebody offering. Yes. Well, and you can, but like then you don't know, right? Because then it's like, oh no, it's okay, I'm fine. Like, are you sure? You just, I got extra, you know. <laughs> Take three of these. It's part of it, right? Because they have, they've got the tool that they're trying to share with you. You know what I mean? But they're and trying to do it without shame. They're trying to do it without shame. Like, oh, okay, yeah, I got some. Anybody want it? Anybody want? You know? Halitosis is knocking me out. And the thing is. And, and if it's halitosis, you can't cure it. You can listerine your life away, but now you're learning to manage it. And I think the hard part about RCT at times is the reality of having to manage this. What if I can't cure it? What if all I can do is just wash it away today, but then I've got to shower again tomorrow? It's chronic. It's a chronic condition. Because if it really is built into our systems, then we don't get to like ignore the crock pot. We've got to commit to a la carte cooking. Mm-hmm. That is work, but relationships are work. Exactly. I don't get to be diagnosed diabetic and then ignore my insulin because I did it once this morning. <laughs> if I've got limitations, <laughs> but you know what I mean. If I've only got so many more that I can use, Lady's gonna go check her blood sugar, and that's okay. <laughs> oh my god! But you learn to I check it already. You learn to check it because that's part of being responsible for your health and for your relationship with self. Yeah. So I think we think that there's going to be some pie in the sky, some silver bullet that gets it rid of, mm-hmm. and then it's gone. And I would love that. But what if that's not our reality? What if our reality is daily hygiene against racism? It's making sure that I check. Because Dr. Wright had to travel with a certain amount that she could carry with her. And once that amount gets close to running out, Dr. Wright now knows, well, I can't have this. I can't have this. Because until I get back to replenish my supply, I'm not going to do something that puts me at risk. Oh, wow. That works on so many levels. Absolutely. So now if racism is an ism, it's a system that we're all living within and we have to actively address it on a regular basis. That's exhausting. Can we get rid of it? We're still looking for a cure, but right now we have to manage it. Yeah, I got some gum. (laughs) (laughs) Both don't want to leave their comfort zone. 
Yes, they do yeah. not. I mean, it's like pulling teeth out of a chicken. Chickens don't have teeth. Okay. <laughs> and it's hard. It really is. It's yeah. hard because it is. it's comfortable, even though it may be wrong. Yes. Maybe even though it's impacting on the lives of other folk. Yes. But it's my comfort zone. And I don't know if it's, is it going to be comfortable over there over too? Over there too, exactly. Because you got to exactly. tell me it's going to be comfortable over here. I got you, but you got to come over here, and I'm going to make you comfortable. I promise, and I'm going to work really hard to do that. It's. It's also hard. Uh, I'm on the uh, on a board, mm -hmm. and and uh, my time there's time limits on these boards, mm -hmm. and I was the first person of color in 60 years on this particular board. My timeline was going up, and I and and I said, you know, you guys need to put somebody else. You know, there needs to be somebody else on this. Board, this is a very racist. Not ra yeah, it is it, the fact that it's sixty something years, and I'm the only person that's ever been on it. Who are you going to get next? And they want to make excuses, you know, uh, of of when I mention people on on you know putting other people on on the board. Mm -hmm. It became a thing. It, it was these these are people that I was comfortable with. These are friends of mine, and I didn't want to say anything. But I realized, I was like, if I don't say something, who, who else is going to do it? Is it going to be another 60 years before someone else says something? Sometimes you have to put your, people that are in that position have got to say, step up and actually say something. I, I, I look at the, um, you know, the football players that put a, put a knee down. They are they. These are multimillionaires. They don't have to say anything. They don't. They they didn't. They don't have to say anything. But they're putting themselves out there because it needs to be said. Yeah. So there's got to be more and more people that actually do that. Um, and like you said, uh, you were talking about the person being across the room. Like you can't tell that person across the room that they've got broccoli, but if someone's right next to you, you can do that. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what's going. That more and more people have to do that. I find that really courageous that these athletes are actually saying something. And I think another piece too. Go ahead, Dr. Wright. And I was gonna say, and most often when you tell people the disconnect between they are appreciative. Mm -hmm. Some folks are so hesitant. Oh God, I don't know them. Can I? But they're really appreciative mm -hmm. because you're helping them to look their best selves. Yes, yeah. yes. And so, uh, and we're so fearful about that. And right. just, just do it. Right. You know. So the other piece that I wanted to add exactly to that is, Margie, if you're my homegirl and I know that you have a tendency to get broccoli or spinach <laughs> stuck in your teeth, and I'm across the room. If I'm over here, but I'm thinking about you, and I want you to be in a good spot for this group picture we're in, I'm like Margie. Check, just to be sure, right? Because <laughs> we still have relationship. So once I've got that proximity and I learned that this is part of what might happen to you, or if you know something might happen, like, LaShawn, you got that one piece of hair, I'm still going to look out for you. And I think even when we're not proximal, we still have to look out for each other. Because if I can see you, I feel like I have a responsibility to you because my relationship to you matters to me. But, but the environment makes a big difference. Yes. Right? So if you're in a, if, if it's a library, uh, if you're at a, a in a really public place in a big conference, yes, you might holler out to your friend across the room, but you might just do it in a really subtle kind of way. We might have a sign, yes. right? Or I'm going to text you, be like, check your phone, right? <laughs> right. Yes. 
But I have, I have the responsibility to, to care for that relationship. Yes, and that's different from somebody who I don't know very well mm -hmm. yelling at me that I have spinach stuck between my Absolutely, <laughs> that's embarrassing and it shaming is. and isolating. And like, if you're in a public restroom and the person who's washing their hands next to you says, excuse me, stranger, yeah. you've got something in your teeth, you're grateful. But then when you walk out of there back to the meeting, you kind of don't make eye contact with that particular person <laughs> because there was really no relationship base there. See, you're still grateful. Mm -hmm. But it works way better when it is that person that you've got those cues with. Right, I'm not invested in that person. Exactly. Right, and you think about and our- you're shamed by it. A little bit. A little bit. But you think so about also how we're socialized though too. Mm -hmm. I know that if I'm in the restroom, as a female identified person, and there's no toilet paper in my stall, but I got a friend nearby, but yeah. hey, do you have any toilet paper nearby? Women are socialized to look for and look out to each other. I was thinking this morning about all the different Facebook groups that I'm in, and I wondered, I was like, I'm so proud of women and how we make space, space for others. I'm in a lot of women and non-binary people groups. And I'm like, do my men friends, do they do have men and non-binary people in there? Do they have those kinds of groups too? But women are socialized to always make space. So as female identified people, we are socialized to make space and we see how we keep doing that. There is a parable I wanted to share too that I thought might be helpful as we're, cause you know, I love my parables and my metaphors. Yeah. This is from Robert Terry back in the seventies. And um, this is from a book called Race Talk and the Conspiracy of Silence, which I highly recommend if you're interested in what it means to do this work. The statement leads to a tongue-in-cheek story of what Robert Terry calls the parable of ups and downs. So I'm going to go through it, take a listen and see how it sounds to you. The ups are in power and control. Okay, the ups, A, are in power and control. B, seldom worry about the downs. C, are willing to allow some token downs to occupy moderate positions of influence. D, associate primarily with one another, and E, define the downs as less intelligent and capable. The downs spend time, A, trying to explain their downness to the ups, who find it difficult to believe. B, are forced to justify their existence to the ups, and C, are constantly vigilant to the thoughts and actions of the ups. Terry expresses this counter-narrative in a parable of what it means to occupy a dominant or subordinate position. The bad news is that when we're up, it often makes us stupid. We call that dumb upness. It's not because ups are not smart. It's that ups don't have to pay attention to the downs where the downs have to pay attention to the ups. Downs always have to figure out what the ups are up to. The only time ups worry about downs is when downs get uppity, at which time they're put down by the ups. The ups perception is that downs are overly sensitive. They have an attitude problem. It's never understood that ups are underly sensitive and have an attitude problem. So these are ongoing conversations we're having about the relative positions that we occupy in society, down and up, you know? So when you think about it, what are the times where I'm in the down position? What are the times where I'm in the up position? And how am I behaving? Am I sensitive? Do I have an attitude problem? Because there's rarely a position where, every, where you are completely in all of the ups. It's, you can get close but you're never completely in all of the ups. And one of the things about privilege that we talk about is we've got to give up privilege. I can't give up privilege. I got it whether I use it or not, whether I give it up or not. Am I willing to risk it? Because what privilege actually gives me is a buffer. 
that folks who are in the oppression do not have that buffer. And so I've got to recognize how to utilize and leverage the privileges that I have to buffer the effect on the folks who are oppressed by my mere existence. And so it's a huge responsibility that I think we can really engage and say, okay, because I've got privilege, how am I using it? How am I leveraging it? It's that connection to self that says, okay, I've got all these different things and I'm still boycotting. I've got all these things and I feel empowered to do it because honestly, what's really going to happen to me that I can't navigate my way out of because I've got privilege? That's a, it's a nice thing. It really is. And I think if we can recognize that and become empowered by that too, it's one more way to help us actively manage the system. It's like putting gas in a car. I put gas in it on Monday. Okay, it's on empty. When are our systems and our energies on empty? How do we refill them? Metaphors for days. You can go. You're like the queen of all metaphors. Metaphoric. Bastard. You should have heard her with like all these different people throwing out their ideas and she wove them all together into this giant metaphor. Oh, like, it was so fun. It was amazing. I know people really liked <laughs> Like to listen to us. <laughs> Define like. <laughs> I don't think they want actually to be trapped here all day while we talk. Okay. I want to thank everyone who made this summit possible, which is actually a lot of people. But Don, thank you. And, and we thanked um, Lauren Wood last night. We're going to say thank you again. And thank you to UU of Bloomington. And thank you, LaShawn and Didi, for coming and giving all of these gifts to our community. And really what you did is you came here and you loved our community. And, and we definitely love you back. <laughs> it's mutual. It's mutual. <laughs> so. Wait, I, I also have to... Yeah, this, this message is sponsored by Griffin Realty. <laughs> I want to thank um, Drew and Connie and Margie and, every, and uh, Meg and Kevin, who did lots and lots and lots of things. My mom, who shows up with the things that I forget when I say, oh my god, mom, I didn't bring any of the... She's like, I got it. So. Um, thank you to all of my village who helps me do this so much. Does that make me your village idiot? <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. No. Okay, all right, all right. All you right. do that? I don't do that to you. you I know, that. I'm okay. All, all right. right, this was fun. So. This was fun. Yeah. So we're going to take a couple weeks off. Yeah. Is that, that much fun? <laughs> <laughs> she looks at me and says, we're This was fun. We're done. We're done. <laughs> That's no. <laughs> no, I'm I'm gonna spend a few days not talking to anyone next week, like okay. in complete solitary mode. Solitude. Solitude. Yes. Yes. Which which is different from, from isolation. Isolation. Yeah. It's taking care so. of yourself. And it is. That's yeah. a podcast. Uh, yeah. I forget which one that is. In nature. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good thing. Reconnect. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Thank All you. All right. This episode of My Racist Friend is a production of the Bloomington Center for Connection, an organization using relational cultural theory to promote social change through connection. 
This conversation between Don Griffin Jr. and Amy McKee, LCSW, with their guests, Drs. Dolores Fingerwright and LaShawn Williams, was recorded on Sunday, September 22, 2019, in front of a live audience at Griffin Realty, and edited for this podcast by Kevin McKeese. Theme music lovingly sampled from Your Racist Friend by They Might Be Giants. Follow the Bloomington Center for Connection on Facebook and other social media platforms. I brought enough food to feed Bloomington, so... There's some spinach dip back there. <laughs> 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 <laughs>